Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, I am speaking with Shelley Lamar from Impressions, where themes come true, the company that provides invitations and favors and white chocolate castles for Disney's fairy tale weddings. And I thought you would be interested to hear how Shelley got started in the business and what sort of services she offers Disney brides and grooms, and her tips for things like the ever popular question, how do I preserve my white chocolate castle cake topper? So welcome. Welcome, Shelley. Thank you very much, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. To begin, can you tell me a little bit about the services that Impressions provides and how you got started in the business? Absolutely. As far as services, we have a whole menu of things that we do, but basically the details. We start with invitations and favors and place cards and table signs and other kind of signage. There are so many things that we can do, but anything that is pretty much personalized and involves the wedding, the ceremony, the reception, anything along those lines that can be personalized or be somehow branding the wedding is what we do. We offer so many different types of products depending on what someone calls us and needs and what sort of theming they'd like to bring in to their wedding or special event. It could be anywhere from starting with save the date, then to invitations, to the day of the wedding itself with wedding programs, something for the stage exit. We do ribbon wands or rose petal cones or bubbles, then going into the seating where we could do escort cards or place cards. We could do ballroom diagrams that take you into the room and then the table sign that says what the table is and then individual place cards tied with menu choices and menu cards, and beverage napkins, and of course the white chocolate castles for the cake toppers. Okay, so how did you get started doing this? Well, actually I had my own wedding at Disney when Disney's Fairytale Weddings had been in its infancy in 1995, and I was fresh out of college, had a degree in business, and had always been creative. And I did a bunch of things for my own wedding. Actually, I'd probably be embarrassed if anybody saw them today. (laughs) But I did a bunch of things for my own wedding. And they turned out pretty neat. But I had so many more ideas of what could be done. And I approached Disney with the idea. And they said, well, we can try to refer you and see how it goes. And I said, okay. And I got my first order. It was for uh, an order of bubbles for a wedding. And back in those days, I didn't even have a real like phone. I had a voicemail that was attached to a beeper and people don't even have those these days. Hmm. And it just beeped with my first message and it was for an order and it was so exciting. And 
there I started and have been going ever since. That's awesome. So from bubbles to 20 years later, and you're doing full service, everything that you could need for your wedding. Absolutely. So you are the only licensed vendor who can provide custom invitations and favors for Disney's fairy tale weddings on both coasts. How did that come about and what does that mean? We have a license that's been issued by Disney's Parks and Resorts. And what that means is we are able to create custom invitations and other details, most of the things that we do, with characters that do not exist in any other way now. For example, if you wanted Lady and a Tramp or if you wanted to have Mickey and Minnie but in different attire than they're typically shown on standard invitations because we do have a line of standard invitations that don't need any license on top of it. We're the only ones that are able to make something custom, something that you want that is, well, not in existence now or something that is tweaking what is in existence to make it exactly what you want. And how that all came about, uh, we had started way back when, and we'd just been working closely with Disney, and we just had gotten to a point to where there was so much of a demand for licensed products that didn't currently exist, and we never like to say no if someone asks us for something. And Disney said, well, we need to get you licensed so that you can produce things that are custom. And we're the only ones that have been licensed and partnered up all this time. Our license has been granted by Disney Parks and Resorts. And what that means is that we can create custom invitations, favors, details, all kinds of things for weddings that are held at Disney Parks and Resorts, including Disney Cruise Line. Alani, Disneyland, and of course, Walt Disney World. There are also a number of hotels that are on Disney property that we are also able to provide uh, some wonderful things for as well, such as everybody that's on Hotel Plaza Boulevard and the Four Seasons, we're able to provide custom invitations and things. And it's, it's kind of nice to be able to do that if someone isn't going through Disney's fairytale weddings there are still some things that we can do. Great. Focusing on invitations for a second, it can be really overwhelming trying to sort out all the different types of printing that are available. Can you help my listeners understand what the different types are and maybe where they fall on a cost scale? Oh, I'd be happy to. The types of printing start with, let's just say, thermography. What thermography is, is a lesser expensive version of engraving. Engraving is kind of the top of the line. It was the traditional way of invitations being made back in the day where two metal plates are made and one is a male plate, one is a female plate. One side is inked. They're rammed together with the paper in between. You can tell an engraved invitation by the bruising on the back of the invitation because it's squished up into the other plate. And other than that, most people can't tell the difference between engraved and thermography. So it's always a good idea if you're trying to stay on a budget to go with thermography, uh, especially if you've got somebody that really doesn't know or they have to pick it up and flip it over and check for bruising. The other kind of giveaway between engraving and thermography is typically the quality of the paper. Engraved invitations have to be done on a much thicker, higher quality paper 
because of how they are being hit by those two metal plates. But engraving is pretty much the most expensive version. The next it would be uh, letterpress and foil stamping. They run about the same in cost, pretty close. Letterpress is where one metal plate is made and then it is inked and then it is pressed down into the front of the invitation. So all those letters are pressed into the invitation. With foil stamping, you have much the same, but the difference is there's no ink. You just have the sheet of foil that goes in between the plate and the paper. And when it's mashed down, the foil goes into the letters. So they are definitely stamped into the paper and they're more metallic-y. We do have some that are matte, but for the most part, the fun of foil is pixie dust and mm -hmm. magic and making it shiny and pretty. The other type of printing that we have is digital printing, which is, it's not just, you know, your average run-of-the-mill laser printer or something like that. The one that our printer uses is the size of, like, a huge room, this whole room for this one huge digital printer. Uh, but it is flat, and it is multicolor, which is nice, too, if you've got an invitation that you want in multiple colors without having to do an extra color run. For example, if you wanted letterpress but in two different colors, like have your names in one color and have all the rest of the information in another, two different plates have to be made, one for one pass that's just the first color that's all of the wording, and then the second for the second pass, which is just your names in the different color. It's the same with foil stamping, that multiple plates have to be made. So can it be done? Absolutely. If it needs to be done on a budget, it's better to go digital because you can have whatever colors you want and it's all in the same pass. The number of times something goes through a press indicates more cost. Okay, interesting. And if someone wants an entire suite of stationery, so they want an invitation and they want save the dates and pockets and cards and RSVPs, how long does it take to put one of those together? Well, typically what we do is everything in pieces in more of a, a time fashion, like when they need to hit. The first thing we typically will start off with will be save the date. And for Disney weddings, we always recommend that they go out eight months out because that's when the brides and grooms are under contract and that's when rooms can't change and that sort of thing. They can send them out a year in advance because that's when their date is held. So definitely not really before a year for save the dates, but some people just get so excited and really just want to send them out right away. There have been times where we've had to do two sets because the date may have changed in between the two. So we just try to make sure that we're okay and under contract. But first we start off with the save the dates. And then for the invitations, those come next. For Disney weddings, we recommend that those go out 12 weeks before the wedding if possible with the replies coming back at eight weeks. We just had a meeting not too long ago with some of the wedding planners here in Orlando. And what we came up with is giving a little bit of extra time. We bumped the times out because of the accommodations and room blocks. The, the brides and grooms needed a little bit more time just to make sure that the guests could definitely book their rooms in time. But for the second part of the suite, being the actual invitations themselves and all the parts that go with that, we try to have those out 12 weeks before the wedding with the replies back eight weeks before the wedding if possible. 
we can be flexible with the time, but that just gives the best time frame to make sure that the guests have time to book their accommodations at Disney and also that they have time before the 30 days when everything is completely due and payable. Now, etiquette has always said, mail your patients out four to six weeks before a wedding. Well, etiquette didn't have to pay Disney 30 days out, so we'd like to have a nice final number long before then. And if we do, the brides and grooms are more relaxed going in. They're not trying to scramble and get together place card lists because they've already got it. They know who's coming. If we have to make last-minute changes on place cards, of course we can. But for the most part, um, the stragglers, we've given them enough time. Yeah, that's definitely one of those things that's unique to Disney weddings is the, the longer lead times for things. It's an interesting phenomenon, but a lot of the weddings, like up in the Northeast, if you don't have the whole wedding completely booked, all the parts done 18 months out, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to get any vendors, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit different with Disney, where eight months is really when the magic starts. And that's when the planning really starts, and that's when things can really start to happen. It's not the same as other places in the country where you have to make sure that this is booked and that is booked, or you're not going to get it. It doesn't work like that at Disney. It's a lot. It's, um, I, I want to say, a finely tuned machine, but it's a finely tuned magical machine where really neat things happen, but they know what they're doing. <laughs> So then what would the lead time be? Like when should a bride or groom start working with you so that they fit into the timeline to get everything done in time? I would say that couples should contact us as soon as they have their date held so we could start looking at different options and their budget too because everybody's on a different budget and we need to keep working and fine-tuning what we produce so that it fits into that budget. We have an unbelievable range of what we can produce depending on what a budget is. And that's what it usually comes down to because most invitations come kind of sweet that you would have them. An invitation would be the invitation itself. You would typically have a reception card because the invitation invites the guests to the ceremony. The reception card invites them to the reception and then we make it, you know, earn its keep by typically putting a wedding website on the reception card. Then you'd have a reply card, an envelope, and for Disney weddings, we'll often also have an accommodations card to let the guests know where the room blocks have been made. Now, with those parts, the typical ensemble of having all of those parts together, it changes the budget instead of just brides that will need to cut things down and cut things down and just have an invitation and a reply card where somehow we have to convey all that information like that because the invitation that they want is a higher budget point than maybe other things that they could have done. So we just have to keep going back to the drawing board and fine-tune what we've got until we meet their needs in their budget, if that makes sense. Definitely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's always a consideration. What would you say is the average price range for invitations? That's a tricky one because I've seen a lot of brides that'll come to me and say that they have a budget of $5 an invitation, but that doesn't exactly work across the board, and I'm not sure which magazine it was printed in or where it became a standard to say that. Can that be done? Well, it depends. 
what is your budget, how many actual invitations need to go out, what other information needs to go with them, what do you want them to look like. So the budget can range dramatically based on numbers that need to be ordered and sent out. It can range dramatically on how they're made, like we had discussed before, the types of printing and the quality of the paper and different options such as pockets to hold everything, or we mail out invitations in boxes, we've done scrolls and tubes, we've done so many different things that it's hard to pinpoint, here's an average range, here's an average order, because nothing is really average in the custom land, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Every couple that comes to us is in a different situation with a different budget and different needs. So we tailor make what we do to what they need. If they need just the basics or they're going to try to DIY parts of it because they have to have the one invitation that we made that has a castle that stamps behind with their wording stamped on top, but that's the limit of the budget, then we try, if we can, to say, okay, why don't we use a really lesser expensive reply card to go with it or something so everything still matches and still coordinates instead of trying to DIY because, well, I don't want to know what the DIY parts end up looking like. It would probably break my heart because the other part was my baby and I don't know if I want my baby associating with something that might run if it gets wet. (laughs) But this is an interesting question. How much of your work would you say is completely custom where people just come to you with an idea versus how much is chosen from existing inspiration on Pinterest or something that you've already done that someone saw and they want just that exactly? Well, I think it depends on the couple and what their theme is. If we have a situation where we have a bride actually that has just contacted us and what she wants is the invitation to have a whole bunch of lanterns like tangled on it. Well, I've got to go create that because it doesn't exist. So that came completely from the bride's idea. I want lanterns. Okay, I'm going to give her lanterns. We have other couples where we've sent them over to our Facebook galleries because it's so much easier to just post pictures up there. And they look through and they see something like, ooh, I really like this boardwalk, but I'm not getting married at the boardwalk. Can we change that? Can we have it be, hey, I know, why don't we do Epcot? Let's do World Showcase. Can you do kind of all the buildings in World Showcase? And How would that be the basis of the invitation? And I say, why, yes, I can. And then I go figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. So each situation is kind of different. Some people are perfectly happy with a design that we've already done where it was already custom in the first place, but they loved it, just want to change the colors. And some want something that has never existed before, and we start from the ground up there. So it's not something with like an even percentage or I could say like that. It also may depend on if they get me on the phone because I'm never happy with whatever it was that I just created and I want to create something new. So I end up doing that. (laughs) That's interesting. Now, how much does a Disney license add to the cost of an invitation or another printed piece if they decide they want something that is an actual licensed Disney image? Well, we have to calculate it Um, it's based on, they've got a formula they've they've given us. And what we try to do is only have the licensing fee apply to the parts that have been Disneyized. So let's take an invitation 
and the invitation itself has a castle on it. Okay, that part itself has been Disneyized. We need to assess licensing on it. Now, the matting layer that goes behind it, well, that didn't have anything Disney on it, and we stuck it to it, so we don't charge licensing on that part. And then it's going into a pocket, and if we don't emboss Mickey's on it, well, that's not really Disney either, so we don't have licensing on that. So it kind of depends on a couple's desire for where they want things Disney-fied. If they want artwork on every single one of the enclosure cards, on the accommodations card, I want a picture of Sleepy. Uh, on the reply card, I want a picture of Lumiere saying, be our guest, please reply bye, blah, blah, blah. If I want my reception card, oh, my reception card must have Cinderella and Prince Charming on it, then all those pieces will individually be calculated with the licensing. So it, I can't really say it will be X amount lump on it. It will depend on what it is that they order. But we do break it out. So only the things that really have been personalized with Disney get assessed because, well, it's not fair otherwise. <laughs> okay. So then what would you say are some tips for saving money on invitations? So if someone absolutely adores the invitation design you did with the castle, but their budget isn't very big, are there places can they save on doing plain envelopes or what would your tips be? Oh, absolutely. And that is a great idea, doing plain envelopes or Maybe not plain because if the outer envelope isn't personalized, that means that the couples are having to write their return address maybe a hundred times, which sounds pretty tedious to me, and it's not that much to have the return address printed. But let's say the castle invitation, they've got to have it like that, and let's say this castle invitation has glitter ink on it, which is absolutely gorgeous. It's a type of thermography, but with glitter added in the last phase, kind of like if you've ever done rubber stamping where you stamp a design and then you put embossing powder on it and then you have a heat gun and it kind of raises up the ink, that's like thermography, but in the powder, there's glitter. So when the light hits it, it's, it's really, really pretty. Hmm. But to save money, we have to add uh, a glitter fee to each part, which I believe you know what, um, my wonderful, amazing pricing goddess assistant, Amanda, is the one that does all the pricing, and I don't remember what glitter is these days. <laughs> but let's just say there's a glitter fee that gets attached to each part that is glitterized. So if you have an invitation and you have multiple enclosure cards, those glitter fees are going to add up. What you could do is just put the glitter money only in the invitation, and then the enclosure cards don't have glitter on it, but... It, let's say it was purple ink. It was purple glitter on the invitation, but just regular thermography on the other parts. Then it still coordinates and it still looks nice, but you just saved a whole bunch of glitter fees. God. So the same can be said for other kind of designs where if you just do, well, uh, an enclosure card that doesn't have artwork on it or that's the same color paper, so it still coordinates, but it's in the same ink, but maybe not the same... Uh, weight paper or we have lesser expensive options there are different ways to make the other parts that go with it still coordinate but not not be an absolute perfect match mind you but still work and not draw attention in the envelope as it sticks out like a sore thumb and I think that's what that is one of my I would say pet peeves on invitations is when we'll have something that we send out 
And the bride says, oh, no, no, I want to mail them myself because I have other things that I want to put in there. And then I start to think, wait, no, what's going in there? What's going to, because if you have something on a totally different type of paper or you have a map that came from somewhere that you want to print a map on copy paper and put it in there, that it's going to kind of be an invitation killer. It's what's going to stand out. People are, people are going to see that. And it's kind of going to look cheap next to the beautiful invitation. So it's better to tell me everything that you want to do with it and see if there's a way that we can come up with um, a budget-friendly way to get it all incorporated with it all looking good together without it looking like, I don't know, a ballroom where you walk in and you have gorgeous centerpieces and linens, but there are no chair covers, so you have the seriously ugly ballroom chairs that, that come with it, like maybe in the Grand Floridian, if I just got quoted as saying they have ugly ballroom chairs. Um, but it's like, it, that's a room killer. So this would be like an invitation killer. So by all means, make cuts on the budget, but don't cut an artery. Don't cut something that's important that's going to look cheap or it's going to cheapen the look of what you did put money in. Like the beautiful centerpieces, you spent all that money on that. You spent all that money on the linens and left those ugly chairs making it look like a bad business meeting. Kind of like that. Right. Plus, it'll save them time if they don't have to then go over all the work that you've already done and stuff more things into the envelope. So if you can do everything for them, that seems pretty convenient. Oh, no, and it's an honor to do that. We can also actually address and mail them, too, and do all the stuffing and do everything. But that's a budget thing. If someone has the budget and they're able to do that, we only charge for addressing and mailing and stuffing and assembly per invitation so or per address, not per all the invitations. So if they ordered 100 invitations but only have 78 addresses, then they get charged for 78. It's not all 100 because not all 100 get addressed and sent back. Okay, that's great. Now, bouncing off the pet peeve idea, I think nowadays a lot of people think that most wedding etiquette is old-fashioned and it doesn't apply and we're very modern. What are some etiquette tips regarding the invitations that still apply and are important to follow? The biggest one, hugest pet peeve, most awful one that's out there, do not under any circumstances include registry in with a wedding invitation. The reason is simple because it changes the whole message of the invitation. It changes it from this beautiful wedding invitation that goes to a guest and says, please join us for the most wonderful and special day of our lives. It changes the message to come to our wedding and bring a gift. We expect you to get it here. Yeah. And that is awful. And well, my sister's the feisty one. If she gets an invitation that's got registry information in it, whatever she was going to spend on their gift, she cuts in half. But she's <laughs> the feisty one. <laughs> it's it's just true, though. A lot of people will be offended by it. But that's that was our little trick with the reception card. When we have the reception card that says, you know, please join us for the reception immediately following the ceremony. Let's say Dan Disney's Grand Floridian Ballroom. Uh, and then underneath it, for more information, please visit our wedding website. I completely, with my whole entire heart, recommend having wedding websites made up. They are free. They're at thenot.com, and it's a very easy thing to upload a few pictures and some details, and that's where the registry goes because people will go to that website and, oh, look, a quick little link here. Look at this, a little hot link over to my registry. And if the, the couples have registered at 
big department stores, chances are it's already hooked up to the knot anyway. It's all kind of connected, so it's a very easy thing to build a wedding website, and then they're able to put more information about how they met and really neat details that otherwise they can't really convey. For the guests that are, let's say, elderly guests that don't go near computers and don't go near smartphones and they say, well, they're never going to look up my registry on a website, don't worry because those same people are used to traditional etiquette, which was word of mouth. That's how you found out where the couple was registered. Right, definitely. And I think a lot of times people think etiquette is arbitrary and old-fashioned and it's just being made up for the sake of being made up. But what it's designed to do is make people feel comfortable. And you want to make your guests feel comfortable. And like you said, not like they're being shaken down for gifts. Exactly right. And etiquette is exactly that. And the best way to answer so many questions about a wedding is to put yourself in your guest's shoes. How would I feel if I got this? How would I feel if... I got an invitation that said, or how was it addressed? Is it to, like, in in my case, Mr. and Mrs. David Lamar? Well, that's very nice. If it just said Shelly and Dave on the outside, I would just expect kind of a more, you know, informal thing on the inside. So there are many parts of etiquette that kind of have gone out the window, but I would say for the most part, when sending a formal invitation, you don't have to be as strict, I, I have had couples that have been letter, letter the law, whatever it was that Emily Post said they will do and have, you know, master and very formal names written out on every piece. And I've also had very informal, we don't care, it's whatever we want, the guests would expect this of us. So the truth of it is probably like politics, somewhere in the middle. Um, And what I recommend on addressing, for example, is the outer envelope being a little bit more formal, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith in a formal address, and then the inner envelope having that read something more endearing like Uncle John and Aunt Mary, where it's it's more charming because those are the names that you really call them. Uh, And in planning sessions, I often will tell my couples, you could do something fun like Bobo and Fish Face, but only if you already call them that, <laughs> not if you're, you know, because maybe that might be insulting if you opened it up and it said Bobo and Fish Face. And you're like, wait, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I have a question because this is another hot button topic. Is there ever a classy etiquette bound way to tell people that their children are not invited in the invitation? The words, no kids allowed, are actually it's kind of funny but you're right it is a hot button i'm not allowed to print those words like that on a disney invitation it's one of the disney rules it is not family oriented therefore i can't but there are classy ways to get around and convey the information let's go back to the addressing first if on the invitation i got it it said mr mrs dave lamar on the outside on the inner envelope it said shelly and dave I've noticed in two places that I don't see my son's name on there. So I'm thinking maybe he wasn't invited. And then the inner envelope, gosh, I don't see his name there. Then on the reply card, if this is truly an adult-only wedding and they really don't want children there, where we could have names and then the long line for the guests to fill out on the reply. And underneath, instead of number of persons or persons attending, you put number of adults. Well, that's another pretty big hint. 
if they haven't caught the, my kid's name doesn't seem to be on here, and my gosh, it says number of adults, that's a pretty big hint. And if that isn't enough, we can always on a reception card invite them, please join us for an adult reception immediately following the ceremony, but only if we need to take it that far. But all of those things are excellent hints to then have, well, I, I mean, if we need to really ram it home, we can also have a card that's included with the invitation that gives babysitter information. Because going to Disneyland or Walt Disney World, if it's a family destination kind of trip, it's difficult to say, come to the most fun place on earth and you can't bring your kids. So <laughs> if you show them, there are babysitting options on property or sometimes I've had couples that have done something really fun, which is have a separate party for kids going on in an adjacent ballroom at the same time. And if they do that, we've often done a little mini invitation addressed to the kids on the inside of the invitation tucked inside. So they open it up and see their name on it. And the invitation in there says, hey, kids, while the adults are at the stuffy party, we're going to have fun on our own party or that sort of thing. Maybe I don't print the word stuffy. But <laughs> no, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like that idea. That's adorable that they get their very own invitation. Yeah, if budget allows and if they can do a separate party. Otherwise, by letting them know what babysitting services are available and there's also the the Neverland Club, which is really, really cool. There are neat places for kids to go while the adults are at the wedding. And if that's the couple's, if that's their wish, they should their wish. This is their wedding and it's so difficult to make everybody happy. But if this is what they want, they need to first come first in their own wedding. This is what they want. They don't want kids there. So that's the way to do it. That's the way to handle it. Now, if you have some people that will still bring kids, then maybe you know who those guests are and maybe those guests get a phone call or something just to say, hey, we love your kids. You know, we love your kids. We get them birthday gifts. We just are trying to have it be a more serious grown-up ceremony and reception, just kind of an adult evening. So that's why we put in there the babysitting information, if they can. Hopefully some guests will be not so awful and not like bring kids anyway. But I think we've given them a lot of really strong hints without saying no children allowed. Right, right. Okay, just one last etiquette question. We've talked about the timelines for sending out your invitations. What is the accepted time limit for sending thank you notes? Ah, thank you notes. Now, it's been like a long time where it always would just be top of my head, oh, I've got a year to do this. Not really. The real etiquette timeline for sending out a thank you note is three months. If you get gifts prior to the wedding that are shipped to the house prior, then the thank you note should go out right away prior to the wedding also. But after the wedding, you've got, and you return from the honeymoon, that's kind of like when, if the honeymoon is an immediately following, not months down the line, that's when the clock starts and three months you should have those thank yous out. Interesting. Okay. Now I want to shift gears and talk about what is probably your most famous product, and that is the White Chocolate Castle Cake Topper that you make in two different sizes for Disney's fairy tale weddings. Can you tell me the story about how you started doing those? Oh, gosh, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Way back when, we're talking early 90s, and I was engaged, and it, it just happened at the time that my mom and I were playing around with making little chocolates. There was a cake and chocolate shop 
close by and they had all kinds of classes and things they were doing. And I just was flipping through the catalog one day and I saw something that said Cinderella Castle and I was like, wait, what? So I went and looked because it said discontinued and tracked down the manufacturer who said, yeah, indeed, this was discontinued. They only did it once. It was impractical. It was in so many different pieces. Nobody ever wanted it. So what we did is we bought the rights for the molds and then we, so we got the original molds and then we re-engineered them so that they could be poured more efficiently. We re-engineered the large castle. It started with the large castle. We re-engineered it so it could go on a circle because the first one kind of stuck out to the side like the real castle at Walt Disney World did, but that didn't fit on a nice circle round cake. So we re-engineered it so it fit into a circle, and the large one is about 10 pounds, and it sits on a 12-inch circle. Then for the small castle, that came because after a while, Disney was saying, well, we've got couples that have a smaller budget and want a smaller cake, and we need a smaller castle. So that one, my dad actually hand-carved the pieces for it, and then we had the molds made and engineered them as well to be pourable and then put together. I think they are in, I'm trying to think how many parts. The small ones are maybe 14 parts. It's maybe 20 parts for the large one. I keep getting it wrong, but there are multiple parts that we then hand glue together, if you want to say glue, because chocolate kind of is its own glue. But they're (laughs) hand-assembled. The flashings are removed by hand, and they're all put together and assembled just beautifully. So it's been it's been a fun odyssey, but it's one of those things that it's neat then to see what the Grand Floridian Bakery then does with them. I've seen them lit from within. I've seen them paint the, the castle so many different ways. I've seen the turrets different colors with glitter on them. I've seen them coat them with kind of a brown sugar to make them look like a sand castle. There was a new cake that was spectacular where they actually kind of disassembled one of the the large ones and put the pieces like around the several layers so you had this humongous castle by the time they were done. It just never fails to amaze me what they can do over there. Wow. Well, it's fascinating because this has become an icon of Disney's fairy tale weddings and I think that what a lot of people don't realize is that even if you don't have a Disney wedding, they can actually purchase one of these castles directly from you. They absolutely can. We have had great success with shipping them over the years. Over the past, I don't know, maybe six months, we haven't shipped them as much. And we had two that actually came broken. And it was kind of weird, like, hey, has FedEx changed how they're doing things? Are they kicking them more? Because it takes us a long time to pack them so that they arrive safely. There are a gazillion packing peanuts in there, and I personally pack them by hand. And like I said, we've had really, really great success um, until these last two ones, so it was kind of making me think. But we're absolutely willing to try. We pour the base extra thick so that there's extra chocolate there. If something happens like a turret pops off or maybe a wall comes apart, Just the way I said that they go together with the chocolate as glue, it's the same. We send along a little bit of rescue chocolate, and if it arrives perfectly and is unpacked perfectly, well, then they get to eat that rescue chocolate. (laughs) Where can you ship them to? Anywhere that FedEx can get to by 1030 the next morning. 
we give them the boxes as they're about to close at night and let FedEx have them for as little time as we can humanly do. We have shipped one, I believe we shipped one to Hawaii, which is a little bit longer than our normal time frame, but it did make it just fine. We have done Alaska. We have not done international just because they'll have to sit in customs and depending on what the weather is at the time, like right now it's perfectly fine because they'd be like in a meat locker the whole way. But during the summer and the warmer months, you just don't want someone to get a blob of white chocolate, which is quite tasty, but still (laughs) a blob of white chocolate that was very expensive then when you could just, you know, go get some white chocolate if that's really what you wanted. (laughs) But as far as the cake cupper, it needs to be with the shipper as little time as possible, and we'd like it to get there by 10.30 the next morning. And we do use FedEx, and we have, I think on our website, we have a link to it where we have the form, also the dimensions, so that couples can call up and get a shipping quote from FedEx, because that's the other surprise thing, too, is how much they charge for it. Because they ship out in large boxes, because uh, they have to, the small one, uh, which is about three pounds and sits on a six-inch diameter base, ships out in a box that's 18 inches cubed. Wow. The large white chocolate castle goes in a double box. It goes inside a 20-inch box, and that goes inside a 24-inch cube box. So it's kind of a huge thing. And the uh, shipping quotes can sometimes be scary. So we've had brides that have met us places, picked them up, hand-carried them through the airport. We have one that has just contacted us from Australia that has said, well, I'm flying into L.A. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe we're shipping one to L.A. And then she'll hand-carry it to Australia, I guess. So, okay, whatever we need to do. What is the price of each of the two sizes? Our large white chocolate castle cake topper is two eighty-five. If we need to pack it and ship it, then that's a separate thing. The small white chocolate castle cake topper is 125 plus packing and the shipping if we need to do that. We can drive around Orlando if it's going to a different place locally, or we can meet up with a couple if they would like to pick it up and drive it someplace. I would just suggest an awful lot of air conditioning and maybe a cooler, but There have been a number of couples that have had success in their Mission Impossible Castle Edition, and they've sent us pictures with the castle on their cake from all over the place. Uh, So that leads to my next question, because I see this a lot in the Facebook groups and on the forums. When you've had the white chocolate castle cake topper on your cake or you've ordered one, how do you then preserve it after the wedding day? Well, I do get asked that a lot. And what I recommend actually is for the small white chocolate castle cake topper at Michael's, I believe it is, they have kind of a a glass dome and a wooden base that fits it very nicely. And I think it's meant for little Christmas trees that get decorated. I've seen that go in there, but it's usually by the where the dolls are that they'll have that. I haven't seen one that is the size of a large white chocolate castle cake topper, but I have seen people put it inside like a a buffet or a china cabinet or something like that. I've heard of couples that shellacked the castle. Um, I don't know much about shellac myself. Uh, I imagine it would make it shiny. 
the thing that's nice about the white chocolate is that as chocolate gets older, like if you find a super old Hershey bar and you open it up, it kind of looks white on the outside. It's because over time the fats will separate out from the chocolate. But with the white chocolate castle, you can't tell that the fats have separated out because it's all white on white. So that's nice. And I have seen ones that are, you know, over a decade old that have just been sitting there. If they're just kept in a place that is dust-free, that critters can't get to it, it'll just sit there and it'll be just fine. It also needs to be kept away from heat sources. The heat of your hand is actually enough to melt chocolate. So maybe not under one of those lights that would be in, I have one in my, like I have a crystal cabinet and the light that's in there gets pretty hot. So maybe not under that because I would hate for it to get home. Let's say it goes all the way to Wisconsin. It makes it, it's perfect, it's beautiful. And it goes in there and it's even during the winter. So it's so cold in Wisconsin. And then the light goes on and then it just melts down the middle. That would just, that would just be awful. I can't even imagine I mean, it would end up in one of those wedding nightmare books. <laughs> okay, so, but they don't need to refrigerate them, right? Oh, gosh, no. Actually, if you refrigerate chocolate, it sweats. So, no, no need to refrigerate. It just needs to be room temperature uh, away from heat sources. And someplace, you know, if you've got it in a plexiglass case, I've seen, I don't, I haven't tried, like, they make them that basketballs and things like that can go in. They definitely have keepsake. Uh, cube things out there it just has to be large enough to fit the dimensions but they are keepable the other thought is not to keep it and maybe take from the jewish ceremony of stepping on the glass and breaking the castle and having it served with the cake which also sounds i don't know maybe i don't want to be there for that part but (laughs) you could do that or you could just keep it wrapped up and then melt it down and dip a bunch of strawberries on an anniversary. Um, there, there are a bunch of options out there. But just to keep it so that it's always pretty and just there. I have had people say shellac, so I don't know what kind. And I wouldn't take it necessarily into Home Depot, but maybe just ask the knowledgeable staff there in their cute little orange aprons what you would spray on chocolate to make it last forever. And maybe they'll know. That would be fun. <laughs> but it sounds like they may last without anything as long as they're under the dome and they're temperature controlled. Exactly right. So where can my listeners go to learn more about impressions and all the different services you offer? Our website is themescometrue.com, which sounds like dreams come true, but it's really themescometrue.com. And that will lead them to our website itself, but it will also lead them, if they just want to go see a whole bunch of cool pictures, to our Facebook site. Uh, It also connects up to my blog that I need to put more stuff on, uh, but that should get them to us. And we have a contact form and our phone number is all over the place. The fastest that we are is actually with email because Amanda, the pricing goddess, is also the email goddess, and she's so fast with things. And this is fun, too, because it's actually on a broadcast. So I can tell a secret, which is Amanda is so amazing with email that she's very, very fast at replying to couples. And we will get a lot of emails that will say, thank you for the quick reply, thank you for the fast reply. Well, I'm over in my little world designing things, and I'm nowhere near as fast at getting back to people as she is, 
So we've gotten so many of those kind of emails since she has started with us. It's wonderful. And every time she gets one, I owe her a dollar in her Starbucks fund. And it's totally cool that people know this. Uh, But the thing is, she is caught on to the fact that I might have told some people because there was maybe a couple incidents where it was over a five-day long, long weekend. And she said, that was not a fast reply. That was over a very long week. Hey, did you tell them when you met with them? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm I'm happy to do that. But we're very, very quick with email. And, you know, oftentimes it comes into both of our phones where the actual phone calls don't come into both of our phones. So email is the fastest way to get us. And we can send all kinds of information really, really fast that way. Facebook messages work pretty well, but email's the best. And actually, Amanda will also answer out of my email address, which is Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at themescometrue.com. Great. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today and offer all these great tips about doing invitations and accessories and the white chocolate castle cake topper. So I really appreciate your taking the time. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide. Available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at passporter.com slash weddings.asp or in print at passporter.com and amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs>